Hey, welcome. It is uh, 11.07. Glad to have you with us. Uh, apparently, a uh, 24-year-old woman uh, who, uh, as we all know, has uh, passed away and just thrown off a bridge. Jeez, that's an ugly story. Uh, I want to get more details on this, and so I, I've asked and invited the news god of Zimmer Radio, Brian Houseworth. And he said, yes, I'll, I'll come in the studio. And there he sits in all his glory. Brian, welcome. Hey, Gary, thank you so much. I do appreciate the invitation. I do wish it was under better circumstances. This is just horrible, but I'm happy to brief you. I've looked at the court documents. I've been in touch with probation and parole, and uh, and, and I've got the absolute latest information. Still trying to get a few more details because we don't know when his initial quarters, court appearance is going to be. But this is as horrific of any murder that I can remember ever covering. I mean, this is, they're all bad, but this is just god-awful. Uh, it's it's just awful. Do me a favor and start from scratch. How does it start and how does it end up where it does? Yeah, great, great point, and, and we'll do that. And I'll, 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 uh, I'll obviously kind of, because uh, I know people are tuning in for the first time that may not know about the case as well. So basically, Gary, this happened on Tuesday evening, uh, about 6, let's say 6.40, 6.45. It was still light. Uh, the incident happened on the overpass going over Clark Lane, the 63 overpass, just to the, uh, they'd be to the west of the Bob Evans and to the Steak and Shake. So right there, there's a hotel. A lot of, lot of cars would be going through that area. A lot of walkers. And then, of course, people are going up to the Moberly area, maybe going towards, if they have, live on the other side of town coming from work in the south part, they would be using that area as well. So what happens is uh, the police started getting calls about a woman being thrown off a bridge at about 645. And they went out and responded immediately. They also had a report of a suspect running southbound on 63 towards, let's say, well, they found the guy at, at Sam's Club. We'll t- talk more about him in a moment. But really what it boils down to is there are witnesses who say that a man and woman um, that they know, witnesses, and in fact, a homeless person has come forward and provided some very, I think, crucial information about this case. But the woman, according to an eyewitness, had gone to, they, they both had some ties, this, this suspect and the, and the female, uh, Kaylin, Kaylin Schmidt is her name, by the way, 24 years old. They had ties, and I'm not sure if they lived there in this homeless camp that would be on the other side of Clark, uh, that'd be Clark Lane from the, uh, Steak and Shake. There's a huge homeless camp up there. If people drive by, they'll know what I'm talking about, Gary. They've got, you see fires going during the winter. There's quite a few people that stay in there that have cleared the brush. There aren't as many as there used to be but it's still pretty good size camp and uh, these two had ties and a witness says that the female here in this case Ms. Ms. Schmidt, Kaylin Ann Schmidt S-C-H-M-I-T is how you spell her last name, she had told um, the suspect that she wanted to get her belongings back, there was she wanted belongings back and it's unclear on what they were or why he had them in the first place but she was trying to get them back according to an eyewitness who provided some very crucial information 
within, uh, and I'll, I'm going to go back and look at the court document here to make sure I'm giving you the right time. Um, this was about 30 minutes before, I wanted to make sure I was giving you the right time, about 30 minutes before that homeless person heard the emergency vehicles because anybody in that area would have heard them. Um, and somehow the, the two started walking and they walked uh, down Clark Lane. Witnesses saw them on Clark Lane. But they ended up on the overpass, which goes directly over Clark Lane on 63. Now, the official the official measurement from um, the Highway Patrol in MoDOT in the CPD is 38 feet. I can tell you it looks further than that, but I guess it depends on where you specifically fall. And also, not trying to be graphic, where you fall. Because if you fall in some wooded areas, it goes kind of under the highway. And, and it'd be further of a fall. And think, she didn't land on the road. She landed in a wooded area, but it was just just as horrific. So two witnesses, they somehow ended up on, on, the, uh, on the top of that, uh, literally, literally on the guardrail. We don't know wh- how they ended up there. I'm unclear, and we probably won't know that till the trial. Uh, we don't know if they were going to walk somewhere. But what we do know this, Gary, is that two witnesses who were driving northbound have come forward and saw her struggling they saw him attack her and one one of the witnesses said that this man was and this is a direct quote from the court document 100 percent no doubt trying to kill her another person said that they were this is a female witness um that was driving uh, up on 63 and she saw she was probably i'm going to guess from this court document maybe two minutes behind or maybe two minutes in front of the the first the first witness so two have come forward in this lady says that she was driving and saw them walking down the highway and all of a sudden just very very quickly the male in this case allegedly it is uh, williams the suspect grabs her tries to throw over the guardrail according to the uh, witness the male williams had either a hand under her arm or under her shoulder with the other one he was trying to get his 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 arm under her legs to try to push her over this witness has said she was fighting back she was squirming actually to get out of his grip fighting back and then she she couldn't see any more because she was driving there's not really not a shoulder there uh, and, and these two drivers did not appear to stop not saying anything about that they probably were fearful but they immediately let the police know uh, at very very crucial information and the police got there as quickly as they could but it it had already happened the first witness says that um that she that both of them at one point were on the guardrail he was trying to push her over according to the, this first witness and she was fighting him trying to save her life basically and that he ended up on top of the guardrail and based on the court documents he came close to falling over as well but she fell 38 feet um I'm going to be somewhat, um, I, I don't know that I want to give all the details, but she suffered very, very severe spinal injuries, Gary. Uh, it's just, I mean, this is awful. She also had massive internal bleeding. She was alive um, for a time, for at least a couple of hours, and they immediately transported her. The EMS got there very, very quickly. So did the Columbia Police and Fire and they took her to University Hospital. The trauma team was waiting for her. The EMS people did everything they could. But I'm just based on the court documents with that kind of a massive amount of uh, bleeding, um, probably hemorrhaging too. Um, she was pronounced dead at the scene. Now, so they, at that point, it becomes 
a homicide. I knew it was serious when the police immediately said they were seeking first-degree murderers, I told, because we didn't know all the details on um, Tuesday night. In fact, I did not know from the press conference because they were very vague, and I get it. They, they didn't have a lot of information to release. I didn't know that it was a bridge. I thought maybe it was a bridge that, that you know got tossed over and ended up in some grass or whatever. I mean, it was it was unclear, and we we did not know that, uh, and we didn't know that until later. But this obviously did happen. So the police were being a little bit they were being tight lipped. I think as part of the investigation at the time, we now know that the suspect was hiding um, out in front of the Sam's Club after the uh, victim was thrown over the bridge. And he fought with the police at the scene. <clears throat> he did fight with them. He also tried to fight with the police at the police station. And they actually, according to the court document, had to throw him down. Um, literally, they had to throw him down at the jail. How did they phrase it here? It said, Officer Anderson and I had to throw Williams to the ground and place him back into handcuffs to get him into the the holding cell because he became combative and began pushing Officer Anderson. So they had a couple of instances where he became combative. These are all documented. He has a prior conviction. He tried to um, escape and actually um, took handcuffs off him, got out of handcuffs previously a couple of years ago and, and handcuffed one of the uh, jailers. Uh, at the Boone County Jail, or it was a corrections officer, I believe. And again, just a very, very horrible incident. He was captured. He's been charged with first-degree murder. A lot of the media focused on the incident itself, and that's absolutely what we, we should do. But I also wanted to get out in front of this, Gary. I knew he was on parole. Um, technically, it's conditional release, which is a whole other story. That's a very complicated law, and how he was eligible for that is amazing. But he was, apparently. And uh, I immediately got a hold of probation and parole and wanted to find out where he was because he was immediately taken to the Boone County Jail. So I told Brandon on the air the next morning, if he got caught smoking marijuana or or drunk driving, I'm not comparing any of those. I'm just saying something as simple as smoking marijuana or drunk driving, not downplaying that, but an arrest for that. You'd be subject to go, go back to prison. But you do something like this, whether it's first, second degree murder, Gary, or if they would have charged him with involuntary manslaughter, he was going to get revoked. What I didn't know is that they got him immediately, took him to the Fulton prison, and he will be uh, held there for a couple of days into next week. And at some point, very quickly, he'll be transported to a maximum security prison, probably the Jefferson City Correctional Center, JCCC. And at that point, he would serve the rest of his sentence, which will be a ballpark about another two to three years, two and a half to three years for trying to kill a homeless man by shooting him with a paintball gun and, and stabbing him, and then the assault on the corrections officer as well. So we don't know. There's a couple things we don't know, and I've tried. I've I've gone to the courthouse. Uh, I've talked to people, and we don't know because it hasn't been set. But a couple things that I'm really following that I think are big stories potentially. Number one, <clears throat> will Roger Johnson, the Boone County prosecutor, seek the death penalty in this case? Really, when you look at a death penalty case, Gary, you look at a number of factors, and this one checks all the boxes. It it absolutely does. Now, one thing that's not in those boxes is will the prosecutor talk to the victim's family? Sometimes the victim's family will either say, yes, we want you to seek death, or no, we don't. I don't know if she has even relatives in this area because it took a long time for them to notify next of kin. So I'm not sure if her family is here or somewhere else. So we don't know that. The second thing that I think we're going to be very interested in 
is his initial court appearance. I always try to go to those arraignments because I can describe, even though it's pen and paper, I can describe, is he combative? Uh, how much security is there? And he'll be on video, but I still will be able to get a good idea. Um, and lately, I have, I've seen a trend where some of these defendants will interrupt the judge, they'll mouth off at the judge. And I got to tell you, Eric, you know, I used to work the prison system and I was around murders and all, all, right, you know, all the time, and it, you just hang, didn't see that much in those all days. Right, hang on for just a minute. Yeah. I'm, up, I'm up against the clock here. i got to yeah. take a quick break. We're going to come right back. Uh, we're talking about this uh, murder that, that uh, happened on uh, Tuesday night, and it is ugly. And uh, we've got uh, Brian Hausworth with us uh, giving us all of the details. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. 1123, and it is The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. Uh, This horrific act happened on Tuesday evening uh, where two homeless people uh, apparently having a a disagreement, and uh, one of them, a young lady, uh, was uh, tossed um, over the bridge at Clark Lane in in, in 63 and perished as a result of this. Uh, Brian Houseworth, the news god, is with us, and he said it's, it's nearly a 40-foot drop. Yes. Um, that's an incredible length. Uh, that's, a, that's a hell of a drop. Uh, and you were pointing out that you're starting to notice a trend in the courtroom. Yes, I, I've noticed a trend in the courtroom, Gary. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to try to keep my answer short, he, short here because I know you have a lot of follow-up questions. But the, what I've noticed is that in, in a number of cases recently, let's say, say for the past year, when the initial arraignment happens, an initial arraignment is simply to tell the judge whether or not you have an attorney. I am seeing more and more defendants interrupt the judge or try to tell them about their case, even though they, the, the, the judge will tell them you cannot talk about your case because whatever you basically say could be held against you. So don't just, we just only need to know right now, do you have an attorney? Um, in, in one case specifically I covered, there was a case where a guy just started kind of going off on Judge Crane, um, Judge Kevin Crane in the, in the, in the courtroom. And that was a guy that, uh, a very high profile case back over uh, around the, uh, the Culver's incident that happened uh, earlier this year. Terrible, terrible case. But yeah, we've seen a trend on this. And uh, one thing that, and we don't know what the, the defense attorney is going to say, but it appears to me from reading the court documents that he may, <clears throat> they may be going with an insanity, um, uh, that kind of angle, because he kept saying, I'm sick, I'm sick. And then he was talking about self-defense. Um, and then he, he just, he was saying for nothing. It was very, I mean, I, I won't go into the details on what he was saying to the police, but it, you, I don't, I don't think you would be able to make, make sense of it either. It's just, something's just not right. He said he was having emotional problems and he was sick. So we'll see if they're going to go with insanity or, uh, you know, some sort of a mental illness. I, I don't know. But the bottom line is the trial itself, if, if it goes to trial, that's where we'll learn a lot of the details about what caused it. And, uh, and this guy has a very, very serious track record. I mean, these, this previous incident was horrendous back in 2018. So wonder, it, it makes me wonder what's wrong with our, our criminal justice system that this guy was back out on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with his history. 
Absolutely. Well, and it's even in this court document, he has multiple arrests for resisting arrest. He's been arrested in multiple states. This is directly from the court document. Of course, it's hard to find, uh, you know, without knowing where they live. I, I can't really look at other states without knowing where he lived, but he's been arrested in many other states, according to the court document. But Going back to the 2018 attack, and it was an attack, Gary. Uh, Brad Trinago, my predecessor, really covered it <clears throat> closely. And I remember actually you talking about it on the air. It was so high profile. This guy, Williams, went into a tent at the uh, outside the uh, uh, the Casey's on Range Line and stabbed a 73-year-old homeless man numerous times and then shot him with a paintball gun. This old, uh, old older man, 73 years old, he sustained life-threatening injuries. What I don't know, because I wasn't here there and the records are real, really vague, somehow that got pleaded down to second-degree assault, and I'm baffled by that. I Because uh, I always try to go to court. I wasn't here. But that is something that uh, really should have been explained, how that would have been down downgraded, if you will. The only thing I can think of, and I'm just thinking out loud, is maybe the elderly man that was attacked was scared to testify and they just wanted to get some records, get him off the streets. That's the only thing I can think of because you go into a tent with a, a knife and a paintball gun, and you go into a tent and attack a homeless man. I'm telling you, Gary, I'm not an attorney, but that is not second-degree assault. That's first-degree assault. And I think I think 99.9% of our listeners would agree with that. So that's why he, in that there's a very unusual law in this state. It's called conditional release, and they go by percentages. Had he been up to first-degree assault, he would have had to serve 85%. Second-degree assault, he's covered under conditional release. And he had about a year's credit in the county jail. And the way I've calculated, it's going to be very close. I do believe that the state of Department of Corrections kept him as long as they could, but by state law, they had to release him. That is a very, and by the way, we've had a lot of complaints from listeners. They don't like that law. Sheree Tolson Reich has been concerned, but that is the law that's on the books right now. There is something wrong with a criminal justice system Mm -hmm. that identifies somebody like him who's committed a variety of crimes uh, wherever he's been. Yes, and then find a way to turn around and turn him loose on society. The whole point of locking somebody up should be to protect society. They should be the people you don't want on the street. That's right. And uh, this guy was uh, released in, and put on the street. Absolutely. I mean, Gary, I <clears throat> I think people left, right, and center that are listening, what you just said, absolutely agree. Cherie Tolson Reich who's a staunch conservative, as you know, has worked to free people who are nonviolent. A couple of them, Demetrius is one of them here, nonviolent, maybe had some drug issues and stuff. But she draws the line on on violent, and this goes way beyond violent. I mean, these are this is a, a way before this bridge incident. They have documentation, so it is baffling to me that he got out. And it, it was just, uh, he got out in August, and here he is oh. potentially facing the death penalty. Frankly, if you, you know, the first incident where he goes into the tent with a knife and stabs the guy and shoots him, that's not assault. That's attempted murder. I get, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what they should have tried him on. And, and maybe put it to a jury and see what the jury says. I, I understand what you're saying. And um, that it was it was horrific, but life threatening. And we don't know if that elderly man is even still alive anymore. But if he even if he is alive, he's probably, you know, 
suffered terrible injuries. I know they were life-threatening. But, Gary, it is horrible, and we will uh, certainly stay on top of this case. But our condolences to Kalen and Schmidt's family. And uh, I'll stay on top of this. And once we get an arraignment date, I'll make sure I cover it, Gary, for, for you and for the uh, news department as well. All right. Thank you very much, Brian Houseworth, News God here at Zimmer. Thank you, Gary. Uh, there is something that has to change in our criminal justice system. And, and I, I, would, I would like to see a system where we don't say, you committed this crime, you get this many months, this many years. I'll explain what I think should happen in the next segment. And you feel free to comment on it to 800-529-5572. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 11.35. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we're talking about this uh, this murder that happened uh, on the bridge at Clark Lane at 63. And the guy that committed the murder had already attempted to murder somebody else. And apparently had been in trouble with the law everywhere he's been. And I'm thinking what we're doing now in in, in, in the justice system is not working. You can't say uh, you robbed a bank so you automatically get 10 years. You can't say you, uh, you know, you assaulted somebody with a deadly weapon, you automatically get 12 years. Because that doesn't protect society. It does for the time they're in prison, but it doesn't protect society. I've argued for, for the longest time that what we really need to do is put people uh, that are a threat to society in a place where they can be rehabilitated. And if they cannot be rehabilitated, they cannot be released on the streets. You feel free to weigh in on this, 874-9390 or 800-529-5572. You can go to GaryNolan.com, send me a message. It'll pop up here in the studio. But here's what I mean. You have uh, you've beaten somebody over the head with a baseball bat. We think if you're capable of doing that, you're a threat to society. And there may be some extenuating circumstances uh, that, that need to be taken into consideration. But if we think you're a threat to society, we take you off the street and we put you in a facility. And we begin trying to rehabilitate you. And we don't say you're in for a year, five, ten. We say you're in until or unless we think it's safe for society to let you walk down the street. Now, this doesn't mean we just house people like we do now. We actively try to educate them. And we actively try to reform them. And until some expert or experts can review this person's character... They stay where they're at. If they continue to have an attitude that they're above it all, that uh, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not repentant, they don't recognize really what they've done, we keep them. 
But as long as we have this predetermined, you're getting five years, we're letting you out in four or whatever they're doing, then all they have to do is bide their time and they'll eventually get out whether they're safe for the streets or not. Does that not make sense? Does that not make sense? We have a recidivism rate in this country that is phenomenal because we're not doing this because we're just housing them like animals. No. Try to rehabilitate them. If you can't rehabilitate the guy who used a baseball bat, you can't make it so that he's safe to be on the street, then you never let him out, even if he didn't commit murder. And if somebody is truly repentant, really recognize what they've done, they have that epiphany, that oh my God moment, then you can let them out. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's five. But you got to have experts watching them, listening to them, talking to them. Because you don't want to get played by the bad guys either. That's what I think we should be doing when we arrest somebody for committing a crime, or particularly a violent crime. And, and if we, we were doing this, this guy either would have been reformed or still in prison, and that girl would still be alive. John, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. How are you? Um, good, I guess, fair. You know, I'm glad you brought this up. This comes back to something that's one of my pesties that really crossed my mind. We're talking about a societal issue. Society. And if you look at what this country was founded at, we had a whole different society, a whole different frame of mind, a whole different belief versus what we've got today. Oh, yeah, we got the 4th of July, and we've got all these holidays. But do we really, really know what they mean and how to function as a society? That's the question that boils down to it. And I talked to a uh, man that was a retired detective from another area. He said his office was close to a holding cell. They filed grievous complaints against him. They made him so he couldn't listen to the country music station he was listening to on the radio because that offended them. Now, apparently they did something bad that offended someone else was why they were in the holding cell. But his country music offended them and he had to turn his radio on. Yeah, there's a kind of a mixed up sense of priorities. Wouldn't you agree? A whole lot of mixed up sense of priorities. And... I've been talking about this with an old friend, and it comes down to once we've left the true republic and gotten away from watching people's rights and protecting their rights, can this country ever go back to doing what it was 150, 200 years ago? Can we do that? I I really don't know. John, I got to run. I appreciate the call, though. Thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Brian, is that... Uh, yes, it is. Jennifer Bukowski? Uh-huh. All right, let's see what she thinks. Jennifer Bukowski, by the way, is a brilliant criminal defense attorney uh, and sometime guest host for this program, among others. Uh, Jennifer, did you hear my proposal? I did, and I'd like to talk to the real Gary Nolan, please, <laughs> that, that doesn't trust the government to like completely strip people of their liberty and decide that they should never go free again. Did I not say that experts would have to come in and talk to them, listen to them, government watch them? 
experts, yes, government experts would come in. And why would they have to be government experts? Why couldn't, uh, why couldn't uh, the... Well, they're uh, hired, if they're hired by the government, they're government experts. Well, why not have the defendant or the, or the person who's in prison uh, have them bring somebody in, have a, a fund set aside to bring in an we expert? Do have, we do have this program that you're describing right now for people who uh, are sent to prison for sex crimes that are serious and they get evaluated. And then most of them, almost all of them have never gotten out if they've been committed. Uh, later on, after serving their full sentence, and we go to there's a special unit of the public defender's office that handles these um, these cases, and they never get out. There's only been like one that's ever been released in the whole like 15 or 20 years they've had this program. I I think what yeah, arouses somebody, I think what arouses somebody sexually, is a little bit more challenging to correct than teaching somebody uh, to value uh, others' lives and, and the, you know, the, the danger to society uh, by releasing them. But I don't think you can just say, you know, you've, you've committed this heinous crime, you get eight years, and then we'll let you out in six under the right circumstances. Because then they're not being rehabilitated. They don't care if they get rehabilitated or not. They're going to just sit out their time. Okay, so you're going to trust the government to, like, rehabilitate people. I just think what you're suggesting could potentially lead to people getting life without parole for things that are far less than murder in the first degree, and I don't think that that is a good idea. I think that if you propose, uh, if you are a threat to society, you should not be on the street. Period. Well, if you if you get released early and you're on parole, then you are being monitored. You have to abide by certain conditions, and you get put back in prison if you violate those that's, conditions. That's but, that. Yeah, you get put back in prison. Uh, that's kind of like uh, putting the uh, closing the barn door uh, a little too late uh, after the horse is gone. Let's. We want to prevent crimes uh, from happening in the future. So but parole is an opportunity for people to get somewhat rehabilitated. It's not, I mean, you're still being supervised. You're having to work. A lot of times the halfway house is involved. Like actual prison doesn't do much to rehabilitate people to live on the outside again. And that's so my really problem. You need to avoid them going in to begin with and address their drug problem or their mental health problem. That's because my problem. We can't get to prison. Then their Jen, chances Jen, of reoffending go way Jen, up. Jen, my problem is that we can't just house these people like animals, which is what we're doing. This is why they're not being rehabilitated. So your idea is going to result in us housing people like animals for longer. I think. And no, we're not going to house them. That either. No, I think you can have a fund set aside so that they can bring in their experts. Uh, and, you know, do a regular evaluation. I mean, you've got a parole board. Do you trust them? I mean, not always, no. Uh, so the system is not perfect. Maybe my system's not perfect either. But I guarantee you it's better than what we're doing now. I do think that you could have more rehabilitation programs in prison, but things cost money, and that prison budget has been stripped to the bone in a lot of cases. Because well, maybe so we much quit. Of the state budget is eaten up by Medicaid and things that the things that they can cut. 
Stay maybe so. maybe we try not to arrest everybody uh, with all these new laws that we have and, and and all these useless laws and all these laws that have uh, that are uh, for victimless crimes, so that we do have the time and the money to rehabilitate. That would be good, and to solve violent crimes. I mean, that's one of the problems with the drug wars that it's like easier cases to prosecute because you're in possession of some substance or whatever, but that is well, kind of law enforcement doesn't have to be like doing the harder work of who is the serial burglar, burglar or who is doing these assaults or whatever. You know, the harder crimes assault. You legalize drugs and a lot of these crimes don't even get, uh, don't even happen. Unless a lot more people become addicts and start committing more of those Crimes yeah, but without them. government involvement, even uh, an addict would be able to afford uh, to get his drugs without doing the things they have to do today. Today, drugs are ex as expensive as they are because the bad guys have to circumvent law enforcement uh, and the good guys have all these government regulations. Get the government out of it. All right. If you want to hang on for a minute, I'll put you on hold. I'm up against the clock. All right. All right. It's the Gary <laughs> Nolan Show. On the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 11.52. Glad to have you with us on the Gary Nolan Show. It's Froster Buns Friday. We're talking about this, uh, our criminal justice system. Uh, Jennifer Bukowski called in, and she is uh, a regular on the program on Tuesday morning. She's also a brilliant criminal uh, justice uh, defense attorney and uh, sometime fill-in guest host, who I think is going to be filling in for me shortly. Are you not? Yeah, next week. Yeah, I'm going to go on vacay. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm saying you can't just say five years, ten years, because these people aren't necessarily rehabilitated, and that's why we have such an incredible re uh, uh, recidivism rate. Uh, Jennifer thinks, no, because then you might end up leaving them in prison forever. Um, right. I mean, bad facts make bad laws, Gary. This murder... Uh, alleged murder was horrible, and it just really rattles people to see things like this happen, especially with an individual who has a criminal history like this individual uh, that's charged does. But that should not lead us to give the government the power to indefinitely detain people. For you already give the power to the government. Uh, when not it comes to, to parole boards, detain. I would argue this would be a much... Uh, a much better way to, to go. Let's find out what people are thinking, and we'll grab a couple calls. Stephen is uh, first in line. Stephen, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Good morning, Gary. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm going to give you a little different perspective on this. I'm a recovering addict. I'm 14 months clean. I knew the girl who got pushed off the bridge because at one time I was even homeless. And I've been in jail 18 times in the last five years, and it never did me any good. The only thing that did me good is when I finally got on a drug court program, a treatment program, and I went through 14 months and graduated from drug court three weeks ago. Now I got a job. I got a place to live. I got everything I need, and I'm recovered, and I feel good about it. And that's what treatment, that's what actual health did for me, because jail never did nothing for me. Yeah, leaving somebody locked up like an animal in a cage, all you, do, you just wait your time till you get out. And you're probably getting yeah. drugs while you're in prison. Well, I mean, I've never been in prison, but I was in Boone County Jail. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got drugs in Boone County Jail. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, the thing is, is, you know, and for this girl, she had mental health issues. She was a drug addict. You know, she had been in jail many times. 
And, you know, and it's really sad, you know, I mean, it's sad to hear this happen to people. But, I mean, that's just a prime example right there. She's been to jail many times about drug addiction. And, right. I mean, it never never did any good. When I was in jail, I was always like, oh, I'm not doing this when I get out. And I'm talking about 30 minutes after I got out, I was getting high again, you know. Stephen, stay, stay strong, stay with the program. Uh, and uh, congratulations. And every day is a fight, I know, but you can win it. Absolutely. I'll never, I don't ever plan on going back, but it's one day at a time. So. Yep. There you go. Stephen, thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. That was rehabilitation that helped him. Let me go to the phone. Right. And we have a great drug court program. We need to divert people into those things so that they don't go through that revolving door. Well, when you're committing crimes like this guy, if you were, if you, it, it, he clearly he's a half bubble off plum. Uh, and if right. they found that yeah. he was not. If, if they discovered that he couldn't be rehabilitated, then they should have left him in prison instead of saying, you've done your time, go back out. Let me go to the phones and see. he does something where you can leave him in prison for life, like this alleged offense, you can. He can go for life without parole or even death penalty at this point. Uh, I'm going to move on to Don. Uh, Don, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. How are you? Just fine, Gary, and after I get finished, I'd really appreciate Jennifer's comments on this. You can have an individual who is repentant to the point to where St. Peter is ready to let him pass through the pearly gates, but if he doesn't have a marketable employment skill when he is released, the chances for recidivism are high. All right, that has not looked, Don, 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 we're, that, that they have job skills, that could be trained, that's not... That's not something that we're denying here. I don't think Jennifer or I would say you shouldn't have job skills and get trained while you're incarcerated. What I'm proposing, Gary, is that while they are in prison, we contract with people, say, in the building trades, give these people marketable employment skills like electricians, plumbers, HVAC repair. Yeah, nobody's nobody. Yeah, that's that's fine. I got to run, Don. Thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Nobody's denying that. We do actually get to do a lot of that, like carpentry, and uh, yeah. there are a bunch of jobs that they get to. They build all the state furniture. Yeah, but what we're talking about is plates. what we're talking about is the the mentality of the incarcerated. Are we working to change that to rehabilitate that? Not whether or not they get a job. We, we all think that's important. We're all in favor of that. There's no question. Uh, but that da- program, that institutional, those jobs, that does help with the rehabilitation. Sure it does. Sometimes it's the first time they've held a 40-hour-a-week job in their life. Yeah, nobody's denying that. Uh, you and I both agree with that, and I didn't disagree with him on that. Yeah, we, job training is absolutely essential. But at the same time, if we don't have a good understanding of where they uh, where they are mentally whether or not they understand that they can't commit these kinds of violent acts that then we just can't we just can't uh, risk turning them loose and if we had this kind of system i'm sure that this guy would not have been available to murder this woman he was not rehabilitated he was shoved through the system spat out the other end and went out and committed murder jen we're out of time Good. Appreciate well, have it. A great vacation, Gary. Thanks uh, for having me on. All right, I'll be back on on Monday, though. Listen, we got to run whatever it is in life that you want. Go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.